Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how it's successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at Ameriprise.com slash AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the BISA Trend Watch podcast. I am Bob Mattel, the co-moderator of this podcast. I am joined today by Chris Milton from Ameriprise, the sponsor of this podcast. Due to scheduling conflicts, Scott Staffis is not here today, but I can assure you he will be back next month. This is our first episode of 2024. Believe it or not, it's our 35th in the series. So if you're one that likes to binge listen, you can binge listen for like a full day. That's 35 hours of podcasts of Bob and Scott, and all things financial services. So put that on your to-do list for 2024. So since it's the New Year's, we thought we'd start off with uh, a very client-centered conversation and bring to you, our listeners, sales managers from two best practice financial services programs. I hesitate to even call them financial services programs as there's so much more. And as the industry evolves, we hear more and more about wealth management. Um, In addition to the two sales managers, we asked each of them to invite a financial advisor to the discussion so we can hear directly from them what clients are saying, experiencing, feeling, and how their expectations have changed. But before we dive in, I mentioned we have Chris Melton here as our guest co-moderator. So he's been on podcast before, so I know he's going to do a wonderful job as co-moderator. And let me introduce to you Chris Melton. Hey, Bob. Thank you very much. Super excited to be uh, trying to fill the shoes of Scott Stasis. That's a pretty big job. I am Chris Melton. I am the National Director uh, for Enterprises Financial Institution Group Business Development. We're thrilled to be the sponsor of this event each and every month. And today it's great to be a co-moderator as we come in and have this great group of advisors and program leadership with us. So what we're going to do is have each one of them give off quick introduction of themselves and then we'll move right into the questions. So Aaron, I'll begin with you. Would you give us a quick introduction, please? Hello, and I'm Aaron Candler, and I work for Wilmington Advisors, a division of M&T Bank. And uh, I've been in the industry for over 35 years. Um, I've been an advisor in my same spot for 33 years. I'm actually what they call a second story advisor, meaning that I no longer have branches I to, to um, Serve. I just handle my own client book. I enjoy very much what I do, and uh, and that's pretty much me. Aaron, well, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate that, and look forward to your perspective uh, as a second story advisor. Jane, can you introduce yourself? Sure, Chris. Hi, I'm Jane Ellen Porter with Wilmington Advisors at MNT. Um, I am a market manager with them, um, and. For those who don't know, M&T Bank is a $200 billion bank with about a thousand branches and that cover 14 different states. Um, so, you know, quite a large program. Um, I have been with the firm um, in total uh, for 34 years and uh, worked in the bank and then was a financial advisor alongside Aaron and some of our other peers at the time and have been part of the management team here for uh uh, for over 20 years. So um, really happy to be here talking about this topic. 
Jane, we really appreciate that. Next up, Terrence Powell from RBFCU. Terrence? My name is Terrence Powell. I have the good fortune of leading the investment services team here at Randolph Brooks Federal Credit Union. We are the largest credit union in Texas. We are knocking on the door of a billion dollars of assets under management. We might could even be there uh, when the reports come out here in a couple of days. Uh, we have 18 financial advisors. I've been in the industry about 26 years. I got into financial services after serving in the U.S. Army on active duty for four years. And a little tidbit, hopefully this doesn't get cut from the podcast, but my first credit union was the Alliance Credit Union uh, out of Chicago, formerly the United Airlines Credit Union. Then I was at the Redwood Credit Union, and here I'm now at RBFCU. And I read recently that all three of those credit unions were, I think, in the top, the top 100 credit unions in the nation. And the common denominator, guess what it is? I worked at all three of them. So I'm not 100% sure that that's the reason why, why they did so well, but it seemed to make sense to me. Well, I'm sure you were certainly part of, part of what, made them, what made them great. We're glad that you're at RBFCU. Like so. And now, last but not least, my good friend, Wes Garner. Wes, you want to introduce yourself from RBFCU, please? Absolutely. Yes. So my name is Wes Garner and I'm with RBFC Wealth Management. My team and I uh, joined RBFCU uh, as well as Ameriprise last year. And we're located in Central Texas. We have offices in Austin, Houston, San Antonio. And I guess my team and I are, are what you would call second story advisors. Bob, I think we'll turn it back to you after the introductions and kick us off and take us down the road. Well, thanks so much. And thanks again to our panel. There is a ton of years of experience out there and also two different type of organizations. As you've listened to those introductions, we've got one of the large banks up in the Northeast and the largest credit union in Texas. Um, so that's completely different parts of the country, completely different types of organizations. One calls their client, I guess everybody calls them clients. We have members in credit unions and clients and banks. But all I know is we're going to have a great conversation now. And it's all about the client. It's a client-centered conversation. And isn't that the way all conversations should be? So what is a client looking for in the bank? We've seen client expectations in financial services evolve over the past few years. You can look back 10 years and they probably had one thought about what they were expecting from their bank. But most recently, it's almost like the before and after COVID, because that certainly was a defining line in everything we do about how we do things. So let me start with you, Jane Ellen. What, how, how do you tackle that? How do you tackle changing customers' perceptions, you know, requirements, expectations in over the last few years? I mean, it, it being in the business, as long as all of us have who are on the phone, you know, we have absolutely seen evolution of, of the client over the years. Um, you know, and part of it is kind of lockstep with the evolution of what expectations are from, uh, you know, customers for all industries, really. You know, when we look at what clients are expecting now from their relationship with their FA, I think it starts with that, a very strong relationship with their advisor. So how do we get there, right? It's whether it's using the technology and tools that we have now through financial planning and more, you know, to create more holistic planning. You know, the ability, obviously, to do, you know, WebExes and Zooms and, and be able to uh, see clients actually in a much more efficient manner in some cases uh, for those clients who want to meet like that. And being able to really deliver the high level of service. I'm sure we've all felt over the last couple of years, especially since COVID, that it almost seems that folks are expecting the highest level of service that we've ever seen, right? They want because they know that we can do, you know, our technology has is so much stronger. They want appointments faster. They want answers faster, right? They Their expectations are much higher. So I think managing those expectations is really important for the advisor. It's something that they do, you know, I kind of say every single time they meet with a, with a client, you have to re-manage their expectations. Um, but again, keeping that client as the central part of every decision that we're making, either as an advisor or as a firm, is the most important piece, right, in order for us all to be successful. And then, of course, you know, utilizing the tools, like I said, that we have to be able to keep up with what the expectations are. Yeah, and I'm sure those expectations have grown since COVID, because before that, you know, the expectation was, you know, I'm going to get a call and I'm going to come to the branch and I'm going to meet with the advisor. 
Now it's, hmm, maybe I should get instant, con instant contact with that person on a Zoom. Or a text or, you know, they, it's every, but everything is much more immediate than it has been in the past. No, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think um, we're also hearing the term wealth management. I'm wondering, you know, that's obviously prevalent at uh, M&T Wilmington Trust. And does a, could a client describe to you what wealth management means, I wonder? Jane, I mean, broke it down specifically for. Well, I mean, you know, what, what is wealth management? I mean, we use we've used the monikers investment program, financial services. Mm -hmm. Now we're using wealth management. What is, what do you think that means to a client? I think for a lot of clients who are not high net worth clients, right, which is what a lot of us work with, right, um, is that they assume that that means very high net worth clients, right? So where do those who are not extremely high net worth fall into, right? And that's why we have different names for the different parts of our business to help the affluent and mass affluent client as well. Yeah, it sounds like Chris has a comment. Yes. I do. Uh, you know, we recently studied that exact question with the consumer and Jane is 100% on. Uh, the perception of the consumer is that when they see the wealth word, they think of high net worth, and even if they are relatively wealthy, uh, above the mass affluent, they don't consider themselves that way. So it's interesting to see what the how the consumer is reacting to some of those different terms. And words matter, and I think that's what we talk about a lot on these podcasts is words matter, and that's why we don't call it the investment program, because it's a lot more than investments. And we don't call it the financial services program, because it's a lot more than that. When you talk about wealth, you're adding deposits, credit you know, so many different things into it and really talking about financial wellness. So Aaron, from your perspective as a second story advisor, you probably have a couple of hundred clients. Talk to us about their experiences and your experiences with them. As far as expectations, um, I, I think that clients have uh, similar expectations that they always have in, in, in one way as a constant um, they're looking for decent relative returns. They're looking for lowering of risk wherever possible. And they're looking for uh, answers. When when they reach out, they, they'd like to be responded to um, quickly. And that you know that's always been the case. Um, but I, I'm kind of following um, along with what Jane Ellen said about the technology expectations. And, and I think that clients um, believe that technology will enhance their uh, experience but the reality of it is that technology has a learning curve and technology requires credentials. And sometimes for clients, um, they think that it's going to magically happen and they'll be able to find out the answer to their question very easily. Um, but, it, you know, it does involve a little bit more. So that, you know, is a frustration for clients that I find myself dealing with you know, daily. Um, and um, I, I think technology can help the client with uh with getting their answers quickly but i think there's also a lot in the way of that so um clients have the impression that modern progress magically makes easy transactions but that isn't necessarily the case and you know we still need documents and it still takes time and so we have to manage that expectation too that that's relatively new um certainly we've had technology for many years but you know, we have a, a, a higher level of technology. Certainly we do in our my current role, a higher level of technology than we've ever had. And um, I would love to find other ways to utilize technology to, to gain more time for us. Because what that really means is that I can spend more time with a client on their financial wellness, on financial planning, on talking to them about, about um, estate planning and, and what their plans are. And and really just gaining gaining their trust and and developing that relationship so um that's that's kind of my view on expectations yeah, gaining their trust that's absolutely important we're going to get into much deeper into technology in the second question but let me go back to the trust you know clients are coming in with, i mean the economy has been up and down for the last couple of years what's the is there any theme is there any major concern or anything you're hearing from clients when they come into the office aaron any major themes any major themes that maybe there you can share with our listening audience about what might be the, you know, what's keeping them up at night, what's bothering them? Is it, is the economy a, a concern? What, oh, yes. what, what's, what, what's the, what's, what's in their heads? That is, that's mainly it. When the markets are down, they get worried and, um, and, you know, they want to talk about it. So that's, that's the theme and they, you know, that's their primary concern. 
even if they've been through, you know, eight market cycles, they still get nervous um, and they still want to talk about it. So that's uh, that we've been fortunate the past month and a half as the markets have risen, uh, stocks and bonds, fortunately, uh, we've been fortunate to, um, you know, be able to talk to them about their positive returns. But they do want to talk when when things are down for sure. And that, you know, again, one of those constants. That's the theme. Yeah, it's it's like being a life coach, not necessarily only mm -hmm. a financial advisor, huh? Yeah. Terrence, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts about um, what you guys are sitting at different part of the country in a different type of an organization. What are the um, clients changing expectations mean to you? I don't know that the, the evolutionary change is cyclical, but it's definitely constant. What they want and need today seems to be different in maybe even as early as six months or a year down the road, right? So it might be access and technology and quick turnaround to questions, those sorts of things. And then in the future, it's based on what they're exposed to either from media or their own experience. It's maybe they want more face-to-face -face or deeper dive or whether it's they want a better understanding or they want to be understood more themselves. So it's a little bit of a moving target, I would say, for lack of a better phrase. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is get in front of it by having you know, that service model or menu of services where here are the things we're going to cover. Here's a little agenda. Uh, here's what we promise to deliver to you so that they, they have expectations. But we can also ask them, well, what, what do you expect? What do you need? And we can address those needs in advance or as you go without any surprises. Yeah, kind of like being in front of the in front of it. So if they have any kind of an issue and they have several financial people in their lives, let's say they have a mortgage or a mortgage lender, they come to that financial advisor first. That's really that's the trusted advisor model. Yeah. And yeah, I guess, well, <clears throat> I know it's Super Bowl season, right? But the phrase we throw around is being the quarterback of the team, right? So you're kind of the gatekeeper. And although you might not handle certain aspects, you, you give them guidance and coordinate with their other the other professionals in their lives, whether it's a, a CPA or tax attorney and that sort of thing yeah and, and that's a good point because as we enter tax season you know we always hear about cross referring referrals and things of that nature so if you're the financial advisor you want to be that person that that client always comes to we'll talk a little bit more about that um uh later in the podcast but wes let me get some closing thoughts for you on this question when you're you know sitting there second story and you have a couple of hundred clients you know, in, in my experience, clients are wanting more of a continuous open dialogue, and I think they become more focused on their bigger picture financial situation. They seem to be a lot or uh, just focusing a lot less on the details of a particular investment or just a single decision. And they, they want to spend more time on their overall financial situation and their longer term strategy. Uh, so I think they're wanting bigger picture information in the form of, you know, really an overall financial plan but they want it in a very digestible format, which has led us to some new technology. How do you guide them down that path? Peeling back the onion and, and finding out more about what are, are the root issues. Uh, some of those things that are keeping them up at night, some of the things that are top of mind, some of, the, some of the topics of their conversations when I'm not around, trying to uncover that. I feel like get to what's really important to them. And while a lot of times there's some sort of uh, initial initial focal point, something that they're thinking about that's more detailed, uh, usually there's something bigger picture that they're really concerned with. Yeah, and, and that would make sense. You know, um, when you're when you're a second story advisor, you know, you have a deeper look into that client's portfolio. You really you've been with them for a while. It's definitely far from transactional. It's definitely relationship driven. And I think that's really what what clients are looking for now is that relationship with their their financial institution, with their financial advisor that really is um, changed. And they want that even more and more from them. And I think that's a good thing because that's how we get connected. All right, we've beaten that one to death. Mr. Uh, Melton, your turn. Hey, glad to be up. So context, as we sit here in 2024, thinking back to 2014, seems like a lot longer than 10 years ago. So Terrence, I'll come to you first with the thought of, you know, with the rise of technology, uh, how has the way you interact with clients evolved? Uh, what role do various digital platforms play in meeting their expectations? And are there specific technologies or tools 
that you and your team have significantly seen impacted your approach and engagement with your clients? I wouldn't call it a challenge per se, but we it hasn't been as easy as I thought it might be to motivate member clients to embrace certain technologies. Uh, and our objective is to make the advisor efficiency as high as it can be so that they're not driving around from branch to branch. They can hunker down to one location and have calls or video meetings and leverage that technology to be efficient, but also to provide an excellent client experience. So access to the website, e-signature, pre-pandemic trick, right? We try to conduct video meetings. And if folks were, uh, say, adverse to that, helping explain that, well, if you do it with us, we can teach you how to do it with your grandkids. And, you know, that, that was a little bit of motivation. Uh, I think COVID, of course, forced everyone to get more familiar and comfortable with technology. Uh, the industries like real estate, where almost everything is electronic signature, maybe until the very end, as people get used to using it in other areas, we can deploy that a little bit more. I, I dare say, it sounds negative, but I don't say a struggle. That sounds a little dramatic, but it's something that we really have to push forward. And I would say less, less than half of the people that we deal with would embrace it as opposed to we have to sell the idea. But once we get them to do it, once they realize all they have to do is log in and click a few buttons and their document is signed and it's secure as opposed to waiting for a UPS envelope or driving to the branch, then it's free and clear from there forward. So it's just getting over that initial hump. And then everyone I think realizes, wow, this is more efficient. It is an experience that's beneficial. It's a time saver and a win-win for everybody. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. It's interesting as I as I talk to folks out and do my kind of my day job, one of the benefits that COVID uh, seems to have brought forward is that the older generation who was less tech savvy were kind of forced into becoming more tech savvy. So, you know, Wes, I know you serve kind of an upscale market. Um, you know, you've moved your practice. Are, are there specific tools and technologies that you're trying to get your, your clients to embrace or that you've seen your clients embrace that has improved, uh, if you will, the outcome for them and for for you and your team? Yeah, we have. Um, you know, my clients still want personal service and a personal connection, but they also want a layer of digital inter integration and connectivity with my team and me. And so, you know, we're using basic tools like e-signature much more than we used to, but we're also using newer tools such as compliance approved texting platforms to, to stay in contact with clients. And then also do, certainly doing uh, virtual meetings more often. In all types of meetings, we're leveraging our digital financial planning and reporting tools to provide just more visual data to clients in a very easily digestible way. That makes perfect sense. Aaron, how about your practice? I'm right there with Wes. Um, the e-signature is a, is a fantastic you know, invention. Hats off to whoever created it because it is such a time saver. And again, all that time that we save that allows us to spend more time doing things with clients that will engage them and, and help them and give them a view of the future. So um, in addition, Chris, you had mentioned that um, over, you know, what, what's changed over 10 years, a lot. Um, the, the platforms that we currently have allow us to, um, instead of just jotting down numbers on a, on a piece of paper, we get to give them a beautiful color presentation that shows them their assets and their allocation and their performance. And it's just a universe away from where we were, you know, th certainly 30 years ago, but even even 10 years ago. And and that's just not that's not anything to sneeze at. That's that's definitely real progress. And clients appreciate that. Um, so that the technology is, um, and, and then of course the financial planning that you know is one of one of the most um, fun for me and interesting for the client technologies that we can we can create a financial plan right there while the client is sitting there. And that's something we couldn't not do 10 years ago. So um, I'm amazed and pleased with that kind of progress. That makes a lot of sense. We can hear a lot of that. Janelle, in your role, are there certain tools in, in, that your team is, is found to be um, really helping to move the needle? Are there things that you're working on, uh, if you will, 
uh, more specifically than other tools to get them implemented and in place? Yeah, well, so to start when we were saying, you know, um, the movement of technology that was really pushed by COVID, you know, especially for the older generations, right? Um, then I think we would need to consider our industry as a whole, the older generation, because it took COVID um, for our industry to push through the technology. So I think, you know, we all kind of joke around half-heartedly that, you know, in three months, we all of a sudden were all able to, you know, in some companies were even faster, right? We were all able to Zoom. We were all able to, you know, text. We were all able to do e-signature and um, and that's something that would have taken probably another five to 10 years in the industry to get there. So I'm glad that uh, that we've gotten used to it, too. So when I look at what has been, you know, what is successful in driving the advisors, um, certainly financial planning. Right. If we think back to what planning used to be the large books, right, <laughs> two huge books that are sitting on a shelf and, you know, nobody reviewed them, you know, for a period of time. And now planning is is so, um, it's, it's not just client-centric, it's FA-centric as well, which is incredibly important because otherwise the advisors won't use it. Um, it's a constant working document. And I think that that's helped tie the advisors um, with their clients that, you know, today's decision of what we're going to do may change tomorrow or next year based on what happens, you know, in your own life. So um, so the technology has, has allowed us to keep up with that and to you know, keep that relationship with the client, you know, constantly fluid and um, and moving along with with their own goals. You know, when I look at things like Robo, right, if we talk about different platforms, I think for the most part, I'm sure that there are some companies out there who feel that it's been successful. But I think if you talk to most of us in the industry, you know, Robo really didn't never really took off the way that people expected. I mean, I remember like, we're never going to have load funds anymore. Everything's going to be this, you know, clients aren't even going to go to advisors because we've got Robo. And those who believed in the relationship with clients knew that the clients were still going to want to see you in FA, especially if it was meaningful money, whether meaningful means the amount of money they had or meaningful meant where the money came from, Right. Um, so, you know, we've seen kind of fits and ties with that as well with different technologies. And then, you know, just overall, um, it's hard, you know, FAs, especially who have been in the industry for a long time and have large books of business, like those who are on the phone, you know, it's hard to adapt because your schedule hasn't changed with how many people you're meeting in a day. So they're the FAs commitment to learning this technology, not just learning it, but embracing it and really executing on it. You know, I give kudos to the advisors because that's not easy, right? When their normal day-to-day -day really hasn't changed, um, you know, what they're trying to get to at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter hasn't changed, but yet we've expected them to adapt to all this new technology. So hopefully that answers your question, Chris. Does. It's really, really great answer. And it, the, the last part that you talked about when you think about advisors in financial institutions, uh, they more so than independents and other others that may be in wirehouses, et cetera, have that problem of the size of book and scale of book and segmentation of book. And, and I think that's one of the things today that's the next big challenge in our space as we think about it. Um, Bob, I'll pivot back to you as we as we start to think about some adaptability and some other aspects. Uh, thanks so much, Chris. And as as I was listening to that, I keep thinking about, you know, we were all doing financial planning and it's interactive now. And I'm wondering if customers, um, I always focus on one number in my financial plan. What is the likelihood of success that I am going to not um, spend, I was, I will have enough money to last my lifehood, my life, you know, my, my life. We'll edit that out a little bit. Um, but seriously, you know, if, if you go and you look at that, and I'm 99, I'm at the 99% point now. So I'm like, okay, I want to keep it at 99%. But that for me means I'm going to be leaving X, X dollars on the table when I hit 100, if I hit 100. I hit 105, actually. But is, is that one of the things that we're using now in technology? Is that likelihood of success? And before, you, I, before I ask the question, is anyone doing anything with that with, with Money Guide or whatever program you're using? Talking about that likelihood of success, because it would seem to me that if if we're doing this interactively using technology, if I'm a customer, 
I'm going to tell, I want that number to be higher. I'm going to find more assets to give you to get it higher. Yes. As a program, that's a focus. And this kind of bleeds into question three. So I don't want to steal thunder. Yeah. When you talk about data or data, depending on where you're from, uh, if you live by performance, you die by performance, right? So that probability of success section, we definitely focus on in the Money Guide Pro format because performance is important, but what is the performance relative to risk, goals, time frame, you know, all the stuff that we think about, but how do we articulate that to the client that you're sitting across from? So I 100% agree. And uh, I'm glad that you're 99%. And I'm taking the over. I think you're going to make it to 105. I, I hope so. It's almost like, do you know your sleep number? If you have a sleep number bed, what's your what's your likelihood of success? Uh, Chris, you had your hand up. Bob, when we when we at Ameriprise rolled out that process of of putting the likelihood or the percentage of likelihood of hitting your goals into the system. Advisors at first were, were at times hesitant. They're like, well, I'm not sure I've got all the data, et cetera, et cetera. And we're like, push it out, push it out. Well, you know what, guess what happened? Clients started aggregating because they wanted to see, just like you, they wanted to see that needle start to go up. And that means on a day when the market's down and they log in and they quickly look at where they are, and they realize that they're still at 98% or whatever the number is, it changes the dynamic of the relationship uh, that they have with their advisor. And, and that's really important. They're there for advice. Uh, they're there to be sure that the work that's being done is tied to their goals. So Terry, I think you, I think you got that right. Sure. I'm going to pipe in on that screen, if that's okay, Bob, the screen that you're talking about on the Money yeah. Guide Pro, um, where you find out the percentage of uh, success that you might have. And um, I use that. That's really the crucial screen, right? So um, I use that with clients and um, and I pretty much go to to the to the uh, detail and the end number. And I say, you know, do you want to die with 13 million dollars? And they say, no, no, I don't want. <laughs> so therefore, then we start moving, moving the uh, retirement date up a little bit so that they can uh, enjoy their their the fruits of their labors. So that is a great screen. And what a what a great presentation to show someone. Oh, absolutely. And I. And through all the ups and downs over the last five years, it hasn't changed. And that's what you want. Consistency. I trust my financial advisor. He's got me in the right places. I don't know what my returns are, but I know what my likelihood is. That's what matters to me. Jane Ellen, did you have something else? Yeah, Bob, I just was going to add on to that. that And this was not a plant. This was not a planted question, just saying. But I think one of a really powerful piece of that tool, right, the probability tool, is um, leading to the discussions about insurance, <laughs> and uh, um, and you know that if you, especially for long term care, right, if you are not planning properly, and um, I'm I'm getting applauded by Bob here, um, <laughs> but uh, if you don't plan properly, how? not having long-term care insurance um, can blow up your plan, right? And can really lead to that discussion. The other piece is that, you know, as good as we all are, clients like to see something on a piece of paper. Um, so it's not just that we're telling them, we are showing them, right? And uh, I think that's much more powerful. No, and I was applauding because I just did that with my financial planner. I just bought two long-term care policies, one for me, one for my wife, and it didn't change my percentage at all, and it was funded through that account. That's what you want to show clients. I'm not self-insuring. I'll pay, I'll do one of those hybrid programs where I, it's life insurance to fund my long-term care needs, and I'm not gonna need to take a dime out of my assets, but I'm paying it with my assets. What a great idea. That was what was presented to me, and I ran with it. Um, Jane Ellen, while I have you, um, your attention, let's go right into the next question. Because we're talking about all this technology and how it's great. We're using Zoom and all this, you know, doctor sign and stuff like that. But let's flip it the other way. What tools is the technology giving us in terms of data and analytics to better understand and respond to clients' expectations? Somebody um, in the industry uh, was, was mentioning that, you know, data is the new oil. You know, we're mining data rather than mining oil with clients. So, you know, is that happening? Um, you know, share with us your experiences with that, if any. 
Yeah, no, I feel like, I mean, from a marketing perspective, obviously we have to be using data mining um, and the analytics there. Um, you know, at the end of the day, every client is different, right? Which is why we need advisors. Um, but, you know, that, that our analytics and data is so important to be driving clients in, whether it's existing clients of the institution, right? That we're trying to have speak to, you know, the wealth teams. Um, or whether it's new clients um, coming in, you have to be careful at the same time, right? Because we certainly don't want people feeling like, you know, when you're on Google or, you know, I don't know, Facebook or whatever, and all of a sudden you're talking about something and all of a sudden, you know, the new washer that you need is popping up, right? We don't want that to happen uh, because that gets very big brotherish, but, uh, you know, um, it's to, to use the tools that are out there the ability to data mine, the ability to use those analytics while still, you know, doing that cautiously um, and, in, and in a really appropriate manner. And it sounds like the data is, years ago, the data was helping us select the next product. Now it's helping us select the next conversation, right? Correct. We talked about as a conversation, not as a policy. And that's the difference. It's more process oriented. These demographics and data analytics and data mining has helped us figure out what is the next conversation to have with clients. That information is critically important. And for us, we're fortunate in our partnership with Ameriprise using aggregation. Uh, there are some tools in our CRM where it will point out certain aspects, right? Uh, beneficiary may be missing, uh, RMD not yet taken. Uh, so those insights help prepare for a meeting and as we've been discussing, create a portion of an agenda. So yeah, we're gonna review your plan. We're gonna talk about these things. But we're also going to do a little bit deeper dive and make sure that we're covering all the aspects uh, and providing more of a holistic plan as opposed to just, okay, we have your investments, but what about all this other critically important things related to a financial plan or financial wellness or an estate plan? Yeah, that's so true. So true. Aaron and Wes, do either of you um, have any comments from the uh, from where you guys sit in the second story with the reduced with regards to um, data mining? It's more, more yes. of a macro issue. I'm sorry, Wes. Um, more of a macro issue. Um, so I don't, I don't, I'm not privy to that. Um, but I, I appreciate that because that will keep me ahead of trends. And the more I know about my client base and and demographic trends, the more. I can be prepared to uh, help them make positive changes. Yes, Wes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely not any sort of a data scientist, uh, but fortunately, as Terrence said, with Ameriprise, we, we do have something called Advice Insights that's built into their CRM and some of the other tools, which has been incredibly helpful in providing me with actionable items, you know, derived from the, the, the data analytics, essentially. And so, you know, it, it could be something as simple as, um, hey, this client doesn't have a beneficiary listed on their account or is prompting me, you know, maybe in a little bit more advanced um, scenario that's identified an AUM or even a revenue opportunity. But one of the really neat things was uh, the, the tools also provide a framework to create the, this kind of quote unquote referable client experience. And that really lets me know, have I missed any contact touch points? Do I have any clients without recent contact? You know, this, this, these types of tools definitely help me stay much more on top of the business, uh, especially where I have a team involved and we have different people talking to clients. Referral client experience. Chris, you must be able to tell, you'll be able to tell us more about that. that I love it. Yeah, well, you know, we, Ameriprise has worked very, very hard to think through and really talk to advisors and to our clients, their, our advisors' clients, um, about what are the things that result in a referable experience. And so it's not by accident and it's pretty simple and it's all things that this group has talked about here today. Number one, it's goal-based advice. Number two is that the goals are tied, if you will, um, the, the implementation of the goals are tied to the advice and the client understands that, they understand where they're going. It's the digital experience, which is really important, any place, any time, et cetera. Number of contacts that are being made, those do not always have to be face-to-face -face contacts, but clients want four meaningful contacts a year. 
That's really, really hard when you have 1,600 households. That's why we talk about book segmentation, the need for associate advisors, et cetera. But what we know is when you can implement things across your platinum and gold clients, uh, you know, advice-based, you know, implementation based on goals, strong digital experience, the outcome is a referable experience. The numbers are indisputable. So it's basically your process is your product. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and if you look at if you look at any one of the any any, any broker dealer that, that our advisors inside of the banks and, and and credit unions have an advantage, right? That they have they do have the advantage of those relationships and the potential referrals versus independent advisors, et cetera. Uh, and we've still looked across all of those channels and, and those numbers are that process is what drives a referable experience with or without I, I said, the benefit of a, of a credit union or bank. I said your processes are is your product for two reasons. First of all, I told Scott I would get his his buzzword in here because he right. says that on every podcast. And I didn't want to have to dub it in. So I want to make sure that we covered that base because we always talk about your process is your product. Everyone has the same products, but how you build your relationships with your clients is the way you're going to win and keep those clients for life and their uh, family as well, which we're going to get to in a, in a second or two. Um, I know, Chris, you were just talking about going back to you. You've got question number four. Yeah. So I'm going to go to Aaron and Wes first on this question. And, you know, we hear about this all the time. And that is, uh, you know, how do you approach clients from different generations? Uh, each generation has unique expectations, you know, for their financial goals. Uh, are there common themes or trends that you've noticed within the term of, you know, generational transfer? And, and how are you working to meet with the, the family, the extended family of your clients uh, today? So, Aaron, I'll let you go first, and then I'd love to sure. hear from you. Thank you so much. Um, yes, I, 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 that is one of the greatest joys of my work is that I, I get to work with multiple generations of the same family, and I have many, as I'm sure other advisors do, um, being in the same place for a very long time, you know, working in the same location, even though firms might change, um, makes a huge difference in your ability to, to advise multi-generational families. Um, and, you know, that I, I'm very appreciative of the trust that the one generation passes on to the next generation and, and so on, because otherwise I wouldn't have that opportunity. So every single client that you work with, you have the potential to work with their their families. And I'm very conscious of that. And I, I think that's been, especially for about 15 years since I've been a second story um, advisor, I've been very conscious of trying to bring in my clients families in some format, you know, not necessarily to their own, their own meeting, their own reviews, et cetera, but separately, because we talk about families, we talk about how this child is doing and how that child and this one has a new grandchild. And you can bring in products to sort of uh, maybe reel them in a little bit. Um, but, but that is, that's always a part of my conversation that I, I want to ask them about their family I, I want to um, keep up with that and and use references uh, that they've given me to to try to bring in their family. And oftentimes it's going to be um, you're going to get maybe if they have three or four children, which is fairly typical, you're going to get one or two because the other ones won't live in the area. Um, but that, you know, that right there is is a real win for me. And um you know, even during difficult times when when there's a loss, um, you know, get to bring some comfort to that those next generations by um, hearkening back to the conversations that you had with the grandparent or the parent and talking about how you met and talking about how important it was for them to to leave something on or or whatever whatever the goal was for them. So they appreciate that and it, and it makes for kind of a heartfelt moment where you you know you really are connecting with someone. It's a real connection and um, I. For me, not only is that a very profitable um, piece of my business, it's just very rewarding for me. That, that makes a lot of sense. Wes, let me, let me spend the question around a little bit on you. And that is, you know, as you thought about this aspect of your practice in the future and the legacy of your clients, were you hesitant at first to bring this topic up? And then as you did bring this topic up with your clients, were they hesitant to bring their children in? Did, did you have to think through that strategy? Talk to, talk to us about that dynamic, if you would. 
Yeah, you bring up a good point. And I probably initially early on in my career, I probably was a little bit more cautious about that. Not really sure what the family members would think. Um, would they have the same opinion of me as my client did? But, you know, the reality is, is that generational priorities are usually different. Um, and we do try to meet with the families when possible. And really, it's because we often see the younger clients um, that have parents or grandparents that, that actually want to help them. And then, uh, you know, kind of conversely to that, we also see the older clients that place a priority on taking care of their family members uh, and just implementing legacy planning. And so it does, it, it is helpful to get the families together and discuss these multi-generational goals uh, if they're and when they're willing to do it. Um, you know, if we can show them how to have or how we have these types of conversations uh, with their family, they're usually willing to get everybody together. And then especially with technology, that's really helped us kind of bring everybody to the table when they're not all in the same place at the same time. But definitely highlighting the and bringing the attention to um, kind of those, I guess, family goals. That's really where we've been able to get everybody together. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. Bob, want to do a time check? Are we are we going to go forward or are we going to go to the lightning round here? No, I think we're going to, I'm going to get to the next question, I think, and then we'll go to lightning round. How's that? That sounds like a, let's make it happen. But before we go any further, I just want to make a comment about this whole um, uh, conversation about family. I've often told the story. I have two advisors. One is with a bank. One is with a brokerage firm. The one with the bank could really know the family very well because we all bank in that branch. We all use that ATM. The one that knows my family better is the one that's with the brokerage firm. And here's why. I have a daughter that recently graduated um, college. She has a 529 plan. There's money left in the 529 plan. I shared that with the finance, my financial advisor. He said, that's great. There's a new law that changed. We can put that and roll that into her retirement plan. Okay, so my 22-year-old is going to start funding a retirement plan. He has now got her for life. I'm a client. Now she's going to be a client. My son is probably going to change jobs, and he's going to have some money. Where is he going to go? He's going to go to Ben at Vanguard. Plug for Ben at Vanguard. Um, who's go who is learning to know those my kids. And that's what you want to do. You don't want to get fired by the kids. So really, it is a it's almost family practice. And you, the two financial advisors that we have here, you're the closest thing that banks have to family office. You are so close. You are like right there. You're not doing their taxes yet, and you're not running for coffee, but you are so close to family practice that it's it's it it's what it is. And that's the way that you go back to changing clients' expectations. That is happening. So our closing. Let me let me see if I can't find my notes on the closing question now. Um, I have one quick question, uh, and it's all about financial wellness. Um, I'll go to Jane Ellen first. You know, how do you incorporate this whole idea of financial wellness into client relationships? Um, I did a, um, a call with um, a, an organization last week. They actually have a financial wellness manager. That's the person's title, financial wellness manager. They were on this conference call, and I'm like, you got to be. And they then showed me the website that had all this content where clients could go about financial wellness. Anything going on with you guys? Yeah, so um, I, I can tell you actually we're starting on that side with our employees. Um, so starting with personal wellness and financial wellness with um, for all employees, including you know a uh, a review of their of their plan and sitting with one of our advisors because at the end of the day, it really starts with the people who are talking to your clients and referring them in. Um, so that's one piece of it. Um, and then of course, you know, from a, from, for our existing clients and our advisors to work with, I mean, that's really what our financial planning tool is, right? That, you know, how do we, how do we get you set up, right? What, what is it you're trying to accomplish? You know, what do you have in order to get there? What do we need to do to tweak in order to get you to your goal? Um, but I also feel, you know, right now, there's just so much attention on personal wellness, right? Not just financial, but personal wellness as, as a whole. Um, and that, you know, the world is looking at um, more holistically than they ever have, including, you know, their, their financial wellness as well. I've been hearing more and more of the term wealth. That's W-H-E-A-L-T-H. 
Wealth spelt with a W in front of the H. And I think we're going to start hearing more, more and more of that as we talk about wealth management. It's wealth and health. And if you have healthy finances, what's more important, your health or your wealth? The one that's not right where it needs to be is what's more important. And you want them both to be up there, right? I think I just heard that at a meeting we may have gone to, my fellow BISA board member. Yes, we did. So, um, Terrence, bring us home on this one, and then we're going to uh, ask our, our FAs. I think a lot of these things are intertwined. Right? What we're trying to do is take the words, if you will, holistic or that wealth aspect, right? Wealth and health and make it tangible. If you're stressed about money, right? That financial aspect is having an impact on your overall physical health. And I don't know that we, we think of it that way that often, but what we want to address is what's really holistic or what is really that financial plan. And we want to meet the, the needs based on those initial meetings. But what we're focused on is regularly scheduled meetings and contact and either a full-blown agenda or a mini agenda meeting. Yes, we're going to review the plan and we're going to talk about, as you alluded to, the long-term care. Maybe not in the first meeting because you don't want to overwhelm them, but we're definitely going to talk about this aspect. And after you cover risk, or maybe before risk, it has to be a budget review, a deep dive. Where are you spending your money? How are you allocating it? Is that having an effect on that dial and your probability of success and those sorts of things? So I, what I want to make sure is, yes, we're great investment managers and money managers, but I want to be great wealth managers. And to do that, you have to get from just focusing on the money in a, in a financial plan to the overall umbrella of a wealth management plan. Aaron, your thoughts? I see you uh, shaking your head there. Well, um, financial wellness, the way that I would interpret that would be um, we, we're kind of taking care of them with the financial planning and talking about estate planning and things like that. Um, but I, I think there's two things that I, I like to um, try to develop with a client. And, and that is, uh, one, I want to be the person that they bounce ideas off of. I want to be the person that isn't going, they're not going to have to worry about the risk of me being judgmental or, or any controversy coming up. They may not be able to do that at home, but if they're thinking about gifting or, or you know, whatever idea, I'm thinking about moving, then they can come in and talk to me about it. And, and that, you know, that gives me some heads up on, on what might make sense financially, but it also gives them something that they can um, get a you know objective a view on, um, so I, I want to be that person, um, and and I work toward that. Secondly, fraud fraud is everywhere, and whether it is ha online hacking, whether it is elder financial abuse, whether it's just um, you know just fraud out there that you know some of these schemes that that people cook up. Um, I, I, I bring that up with every client. I bring it up because everyone can be vulnerable at some point. Everyone's not vulnerable all the time, but they, they would be vulnerable at some point. And somehow these fraudsters do find them. So when, when they're most vulnerable. So I talk to them about that. And I, I think we can do more in the financial industry. And, you know, in our place of sitting here with, with the trust of clients, I think we can do more to help them because it's extremely disturbing to a client even if it's a small amount from the checking account, et cetera, it's very disturbing to them. And I think that we can help more because they do trust us generally. And I think that is it in a nutshell, because five, 10 years ago, that would have never come up in a conversation like we're having today. Clients expect that, that type of service delivery. Client, clients want the education about that's financial wellness. Clients, I think, even want more than that. Sometimes you, you don't want to be the financial advisor out there that has a client come in and say, you know what just happened? My house burnt down and I don't have the right coverage to have it replaced. I don't have the right writer on my, my homeowner's loan, my homeowner's policy to, to build my home to codes. I think that's where we're getting to where clients are expecting more. Or somebody, you know, took a tumble on their, their sidewalk and they're getting sued or they don't have a personal liability policy. It's financial wellness. It's everything 
that affects them in life. And Wes, your comments before we go to our lightning round question. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I talk with someone new, I've found that there's usually some catalyst that, that prompts a prospect's initial interest at the beginning of the relationship. So in general, there's usually some very specific issue that has their attention. But this is where we begin trying to peel back that onion and find out a little bit more about their overall kind of big picture financial situation. And we'll, you know, we'll then find that there, there are many more pieces of the financial puzzle that need to be organized and addressed for them. So we end up talking about these bigger picture objectives and then eventually dive back down into how little individual pieces work together. But most people very quickly come to the conclusion that solving this specific issue that began our discussion doesn't really solve their big picture financial needs. And then they really do want that kind of real big picture financial plan. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, there is so much. I think we can have another whole podcast on this subject. But for right now, we hope our listeners found a nugget or two out of today's discussion because there was just a lot there. You can always replay it over and over again. Put it on a loop. Listen to it until you're tired of listening to it. There are 34 others to listen to, though. Anyway, um, there's enough commercials about listening to all of our podcasts. So I'm going to let uh, Chris Melton have the honors of asking our lightning round question, which is very timely. It is actually January 31st right now as we record this. And Chris, what's the last question? The last question is twofold. How are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? Uh, I'm going to go with that one. And uh, then if you just want to tell me who you think is going to win the Super Bowl, so we're going to get you both. So it's going to be uh, Mahomie and Chris Jones, in my opinion. And on my New Year's resolutions, I'm giving myself a score of about 70%. Who's up? Wes? Yeah, I don't know. I try to steer clear of New Year's resolutions. It uh, it seems to take more than once a year to keep me moving forward. But uh, I think i got to go with the Chiefs on this one. There you go. Aaron, how about you? Well, I don't really care who wins the Super Bowl. If you guys have a great team out that you really want, I'll root for them. Um, and resolutions, um, I think I'm doing pretty good. So good far, so good. Thank good you. For you. Good for you. Excellent to hear. Uh, Terrence? Well, I'm happy to say uh, I am 31 days into it, continuing to eat a little healthier, maintaining a higher degree of activity. So keep your fingers crossed that this uh, continues forward into the rest of the year. So I'm, I'm glad things are going well with resolutions. I don't have a dog in this fight, but what this is a rematch, I think, of uh, four years ago-ish. So my, uh, my money's on the 49ers. Okay, Jane Ellen, how about you? Um, so uh, my New Year's resolution was to not have a New Year's resolution because that uh, usually blows up by about day 10. Um, so uh, that's where I am with my resolution. Um, regarding the Super Bowl, um, well, since both of the um, teams who play in M&T stadiums are out, meaning the Bills and the Ravens, um, I'm, I am pretty neutral. I, I, I will uh, say that I think that the Chiefs are probably going to win. But more importantly, is anybody going to be able to beat Chris Stapleton's rendition of the national anthem last year? There so um, uh, that uh, that was bone chilling. So um, it will be nice to see who's what, what happens this year with that. So here's my father. Good call out. Bob, take us home. Yeah, you know, I my New Year's resolution was going good until I was in New Orleans last week. So I I went there being able to close my my sports jacket, and I when I left, it couldn't quite close. So I'll go with 75% there. Last week, I was asked the same question before the latest round. I said it's going to be a repeat. It's going to be a repeat for the Super Bowl. We'll yeah. play this back, and we'll, you know, we'll, it's all recorded, so everybody knows. Can't change your minds, those that had a choice. Well, so Bob... Bob, we, we were only in New Orleans for 48 hours. I know, but that food is so darn good. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's why I don't go back there. It's just too good. Oh. So anyway, thank you, Jane Ellett, for that. Um, and thanks to our panel. Thank you so much, Chris, for uh, stepping in there. We may invite you back for more um, uh, fun and moderation. Uh, maybe I'll take a week off and you can take sub for me and you'll have you and Scott do one. Um, thank you so much. Thanks to the BISA. And remember, if you spell it, you can't mispronounce it. B-I-S-A. And don't forget the annual conference is coming up 
um, sometime in March, March uh, 4th to the 8th, I believe. Don't forget the early bird is on March 4th. Ameriprise, Ameriprise, Ameriprise. Thank you so much for your sponsorship. Without that, there would be no BISA Ameriprise Industry Trend Watch monthly podcast. It's all thanks to Ameriprise. Thanks also to our listeners. And you guys know you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and many more places. Wherever you get your other podcasts, you can get these podcasts. Sign up and get them every month. Thank you again. And I only have one other thing to say. Say goodbye, Chris. Bye. Thank you. Chris. All right. Take care, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series. Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling Fintech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.